Welcome to the RBT mini-series presented by the BT Focus podcast. As we walk you step-by-step with the second edition RBT task list on your path to certification and elevating your practice. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the BT Focus podcast RBT series. I am joined again by Taj Campbell and Logan Worcester. Uh, welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here again. Absolutely. Last time we met, we completed A4 on the RBT task list. Today, we're going to pick up right where we left off on A5, which is enter data and update graphs. Okay. I was reflecting a lot about this and how data entry and and graphing and and the role of an RBT, your experience with that can somewhat vary depending on maybe your agency or the tools that you have utilized. I know at at Centria, we're somewhat spoiled in the sense that our software does a lot of the graphing for us. So for example, as targets are mastered, our software will automatically show a cumulative graph of how many targets have been mastered over time. Or if you're taking frequency data, on any sort of problem behavior. It's going to generate a beautiful line graph that will show that over time with phase change lines and different topographies. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the relevance of practice of entering data and updating graphs and really how it relates to the role of an RBT um, and some takeaways. All right, let's jump in. So when it comes to entering data, there are a number of different types of data that you might come across during your session, right? You might be doing skill acquisition data, your trial by trial data for your different programming. So as you're teaching a skill, you're recording how the the learner is responding. Is it correct? Is it incorrect? What sort of prompting was being used? And again, one of the things that we're spoiled at our agency is that at the end of each session, it's going to, it's going to, calculate that automatically in terms of percent correct. So you can see how that learner is advancing over time. Wasn't always the case. I feel like when I entered the field stone ages ago, or it was paper data and binders that were nine inches thick, recording percent correct was just something that you did at the end of every session, right? You would you know, block out time at the end to go through and tally up and got pretty good at like mental math, right? (laughs) What's 11 divided by 18? You get pretty good at stuff like that. But that trial by trial one is one where you're entering that data on a real-time basis. And then for our agency, it it generates that information automatically. But maybe that's not the case for others. Other examples, behavioral data, right? Taj, what are a couple different types of behavioral data that you've recorded out in the field? Duration, frequency, latency, That's perfect. And that actually ties into our previous discussion on A2, implementing continuous measurement procedures. So frequency, duration, and our response time, latency, those are all perfect examples. Anything else that you would add to that, Logan? I think with my experience, again, frequency and duration data are probably the most common. And continuous measurement, I don't think I've ever actually done any like partial or whole interval recording, time sampling in the field. So I guess I've just been spoiled with having like lower frequency behaviors with clients where I don't have to implement some of that discontinuous recording, which is a lot more practical for those high frequency behaviors. But yeah, 
continuous frequency and duration data, I would say are the most common that I've done with my clients. Yeah. Re reflecting to my experience as well, I would say frequency and duration are probably two just staples in, in your data collection arsenal. Great examples of continuous measurement. And then also adding some just descriptive data collection as well. So taking more narrative ABC recording, antecedent behavior consequence. We're going to go into that in greater detail in some future episodes. All great examples. So as that data is being collected, it can be generated and displayed in a number of different ways. And maybe for those of you listening who are future RBTs, aren't doing some of the direct graphing work yourself per se, but how it relates to you is the ability to work with your clinical supervisor to interpret that data. And this could be something that maybe you experience as you're preparing for the exam of interpreting a graph so that you can make treatment decisions. So a couple things to keep in mind when you're interpreting a graph. So let's just talk about graphing 101. Are you looking at a, a scatter plot or a line graph? Let's talk about the y-axis, the up and down, and then the x-axis, the side to side, right? That horizontal axis, that x-axis is um, going to be showing you that whatever that unit of time is, right? Number of sessions, number of days, number of weeks, etc. The y-axis is going to be what we would call the dependent variable or whatever the behavior is that we're measuring, the number of uh, correct responses, the number of sign language emitted during a session. And so as we look at that, as we're looking at a, a line graph per se, as we see changes across the y-axis, we can then make treatment decisions. Is that data ascending? I mean, is, it, is it going up? Is that behavior increasing? Is that behavior descending? Is it going down? And depending on what that behavior is, one might be desired over the other. If we're talking about problem behavior and we're seeing that behavior is ascending, that might be cause for some discussion on your treatment team of, do we need to evaluate this treatment decision? Do we need to put any changes or any additional supports that are needed if that problem behavior is increasing. Or maybe we're seeing just a expected uptick or an extinction burst, if you will, where at first there's a little spike in that behavior, but we see that it starts to descend over time. So I would encourage you as you're studying for the exam and you're listening to this, encourage you to, to look at some common graphs that you might see in the field and, and to ask your BCBA supervisor during supervision, hey, can we look at some of the graphs from recent sessions? Can we look at our number of mastered trials, a cumulative graph? Can we take a look at some of the trends in any of the, the challenging behavior that we're recording? And it's a great opportunity to see that in real time. Logan, any thoughts or additions to that as we get started? Yeah, I think... It is really nice to get to see those graphs. Like you said, we're spoiled a lot as technicians. We don't really have to do any of the graphing manually, but definitely reach out to your supervisor so you can see the type of progress you're making with your clients. It's nice to see it in a visual format where you can see the increases or decreases in behavior. Also as a practicum student, Graphing data is an unrestricted hour, so you can always make your own graphs too and get more practice with that. Absolutely. Taj, any thoughts on your end? Yeah, I was actually going to piggyback again off of Logan and say definitely reach out to your supervising clinician to really have that visual, to get that visual, because unless you're doing that, you're working a little 
blind and you're not seeing the overall picture. You're not seeing that those that graph of the progress that you're making with your client. And it really helps to keep you as an RBT or a BT to stay rooted as to why that question of why am I doing this? What is the what's the overall goal here? So yes, that reach out to your uh, supervisor, get the get those graphs, and you'll see that progress, and you'll see what the behavior plan is going to look like depending on that that progress. Absolutely, I, I I love that Taj, and and to your point, that visual analysis. It's one. It's a really a defining feature of behavior analysis, right? It's one of the things that makes it u- unique within the field of psychology where we're taking, we're making decisions all the time based on data. I might've said this in an earlier episode, but a quote that I love is without data, we're just another person with an opinion, right? <laughs> so I I love that. And it's so true. And to your point, Taj, of like, where are we going with this? I think back to the times where maybe we're implementing a strategy to help decrease a challenging behavior. And we're having, in the beginning, maybe some prolonged periods of challenging behavior. And in the moment, it might not feel like I'm not seeing that change right away. Maybe one day you're at 20 minutes of, of an instance of behavior and the next day you're at 18, and the next day you're at 16. And on a day-by-day level, maybe those discriminations aren't as experienced. You might not feel it, but to see that visually is showing, oh, we're moving in a direction here, aren't we? So that's where the power of our science and uh, the ability to measure progress based on the data that we're collecting in a visual way is so important. Thank you both. That's great. And How about we just jump right into some questions, all right? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, which of the following is not an applicable form of data collection as an RBT? A, duration recording. B, ABC data recording. C, frequency. D, manding. Or E, time sampling. Taj, let me kick this one to you. Which of the following is not an applicable form of data collection as an RPT? That would be demanding. Absolutely. And in your own words, like what are we talking about with manding here? This is for a future episode, but what, why is that not an applicable form of data collection? Sure. So manding actually deals with the the client and their requesting could be verbal, could be nonverbal. So that would definitely not be something that an RBT or a behavioral technician would do when they record yeah. data. Exactly. You might record frequency of that mand, right. but that mand itself is not a form of data collection. So you answer that perfectly. All right. Number two, Logan, this one's on you. All right. How do we define data collection? A target that is in the process of being taught. B, withholding reinforcement from a previously reinforced behavior. C, Facts and statistics collected together for analysis, or D, the loss of effectiveness of a reinforcer? So I'm going to go with C on that one. Facts and statistics collected together for analysis. As we said, data collection is really the backbone of ABA therapy. We're looking at what we're observing with the behavior and analyzing whether we're seeing effective results based on our treatment. Couldn't have said it better myself. Good. You two are two for two. All right. Last one. Which of the following does not apply? Why does your supervising clinician need the data that you collect? 
A, to track client progress. B, to diagnose, to provide diagnosis for the client. C, to engage in database decision-making. D, to create graphs. Or E, to make informed treatment decisions. Which of the following does not apply to how your supervising clinician would use the data that you collect? Taj, what are your thoughts here? Which opponent is not? Uh, you're not exactly going to diagnose the client in this sense. You would have to use the data in order to make the informed decisions to plot the graphs. So it's, yeah, it's, it wouldn't be, it would, I'm going to go with B to diagnose. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That would fall outside of a scope RBT, that, that diagnosis or that evaluation would come from other professionals on the team, but all of the others would perfectly apply. Clack, tracking progress, engaging in database decision-making, creating graphs, making informed decisions. Those are all of the ways that you really work collectively and collaboratively with your supervising clinician because I think as I said it before, RBTs are our eyes and ears of the treatment team. And the data that you collect, it tells the story of what's occurring in our session. So I would agree with you, Taj. Once again, 100%, you guys are all stars. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Last episode, I asked you both what you would recommend to study and prepare for the exam. Now I'm going to ask a fun question. Ooh. Go back to memory lane, right? I want you to think about, and if you'd like to share, what was the experience like when you found out that you had officially become an RBT? Walk me through what that felt. I just remember being really excited. It was awesome because when I got those credentials, I was moving from Kalamazoo to back to my hometown. I had just graduated undergrad and I was going to be put onto a case that required the RBT credentials. So I was really excited. I got to complete that, was able to start on that case as soon as I got back home. So that was really exciting and uh, great timing for me. <laughs> Yeah. Who who is the first person you called or texted? <laughs> I think my boyfriend was there when I saw it. He helped me with all the studying. So awesome. it was only right for him to know first. Awesome. It's a team win. That's great. Great. What about you, Taj? Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want I don't want to, you know, belabor the point or anything, but it, it was a journey. And I felt like it was a process in it was going in that trajectory anyway and so when it finally was time to, to to take the exam and to just to do it and get that credential the certification i just remember taking it having to take it three or four times and each time i was i would i was getting hard on myself i was getting down and, and i was saying like, what am i missing like why am i not what's not clicking and i actually reached out to my supervising clinician who was very supportive April Foster, if she's out there listening, she was just like, just don't overthink it. You're doing this. You're doing all these things. You're doing these things in session. So, so yeah. just turn your head and just do, take the exam. Just do it. And I passed on the fourth try, on the fourth attempt. I was like, I just remember being over the laptop and going into the uh, the, the module or the the, the the website, and it was like, congratulations. And my girlfriend was she was in the other room, and I called her out and. It was a very celebratory moment because it was just like two months of just try, 
fail, try again, fail, attempt number three. And on that fourth try, I was like, all right, it's got to be the, it's got to be this time. This has got to be the, the moment yeah. to pass it. And it was great. Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate you sharing that because, yeah, it's so important to not get discouraged. Like learning is a process and the, the test is just a reflection of how you're performing in that moment. And so if there's times where you didn't pass in the first attempt, you try again. That's what we do with our learners. That's it. That's it's all part of the learning process. So I, I love that you shared that, Taj. And it reminds me of a quote by B.F. Skinner where he says, a, a failure is not always a mistake. It might simply be the best one can do under certain circumstances. The real mistake is to stop trying. So you get out there, you keep behaving, you keep doing it, and you're going to have success. And it makes the success all the more sweeter at the end because of, of you can look back at the work that you put in. Yeah. Um, so that's great. I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that it's important to hear about those victories as you're preparing, as you're putting in all the work. If you're listening to this right now and you're studying for the exam and, and you're really looking for some encouragement. I think those are two great encouraging words. And it's been a number of years since I became an RBT and I remember it like it was yesterday calling my fiance and my wife now and saying that I passed and it's a really proud moment. So all of the hard work pays off in the end. Yep. Absolutely. This concludes another excellent episode of the BT Focus podcast. Thank you again to Taj Campbell and to Logan Worcester. I so appreciate your time today and, and thanks for all of your insight and stories and I really enjoyed our conversations. As did I, Brian. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having us again. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this special RBT mini-series edition of the BT Focus podcast. We look forward to joining you next time as we continue journeying through the second edition RBT task list to help you elevate your practice and learn more about the science of applied behavior analysis.